Yokoso, welcome to Amakara Japan. You are joining Yasushi, Stephen, and myself, Michelle, and we are talking about Japanese news topics, things that might not hit international headlines. And if you are interested in Japan and the news over here, and you're not getting your news update from the BBC or any international news sites that you look at, this is the place to come to so you can be involved in Japanese news that you might not see hitting international headlines. Welcome Yasushi and Steven. Hello. Konnichiwa. Anyway, we are going to be discussing a few topics today. The first one we want to discuss is about Yoshimoto Kogyo. It's basically a agent for comedians in Japan, a, a talent agency for these comedians. And they've had a little bit of issues recently to where they... Oh, Yasushi, you want to take the, <laughs> the reins on this? Yeah, so this is a major, major scandal that has been going on in the probably past a month or so yeah because this scandal involves many famous comedians that we see every day on tv this scandal is kind of a a little complicated it started with some of the comedians attending party hosted by organized crime groups so and they were they accepted money from you know basically the yakuza the gang mm-hmm. members so that itself was a problem but then as the investigation went on new facts had you know emerged it turns out that a lot of these comedians were doing side jobs because they were getting paid so low by this you know Yoshimoto Kogyo corporation and some of them were like only getting 300 yen an hour which is like $3 an hour way below the you know legal minimum wage we started questioning the so- the sort of legality of this Yoshimoto Kogyo fits right for them to pay such wages. Correct. They're trying to make a living wage and the agency is not paying out, which is why they originally took the gig to perform for the Yakuza is, you know, the the agency wasn't giving them enough work and the work that they were giving was, as uh, Yasushi said, about 300 yen or $30 an hour or even less than that. I think in part of the article, it talked about one, one comedian got paid one yen so like a cent for a performance and yeah. was just like hey this this works and so they are trying to find other means to make money but then the agency kind of gets after them and fires them or there's just no written contract to help these comedians that's right so these comedians are not the employees of Yoshimoto Kogyo they are basically freelancers they're independent contractors so that's why the wages were built lower than the legal minimum wage but you know three dollars an hour it's so inhumane right it's amazing what entertainers do just you know they love the art and the art forms get paid awful wages like why would anybody do that and i can understand from a theatrical standpoint for myself it's like we love this but we can't survive on this sort of money yeah well according to the article like the way the contracts were done it was basically it, like you said, making them be freelancers so that they could go and pay them a lot less than what what they're worth and what they should uh, be paid. I'm surprised. So I know um, that here in America, we have like for movie stars and things like that, there is um, a union called Screen Actors Guild or SAG or SAG-AFTRA. And oh. even in the theater department, there's something called um, Actors Equity Association. So there's these unions that exist here 
to help performers and entertainers make sure that they get minimum wage. Now, as a performer, you don't necessarily have to join this union if you don't want to. Um, I was curious, does Japan have a union in place for these performers or these entertainers? No, not, not until, um, up until this point. Um, they were in a very vulnerable position. But now, you know, since this scandal broke out, they're talking about um, having a union. There was a there was one of the head of the unions here in Japan was actually talking in that news article saying it's like, yeah, now is to, you know, kind of come together and, and do something like that. Form the union so you can get minimum wages or get treated more equally and fairly and not be abused in the system. Well, yeah. like going going with that, uh, with the comedians doing the, the Yakuza thing, I don't know if I read the article right, and you can correct me if I didn't. Didn't the comedians almost feel compelled to do it because they were told that if they didn't, they would lose their job? Or am I, I... Think, um, I think they, it wasn't, you know, they were not asked by the company to attend these parties. I think there were like several different comedians, and some comedians knew that this the party was hosted by Yakuza, but others... Mm. I just remember reading somewhere in the article, I don't have it right in front of me right now, and it said that there were some of the, the employees that felt that they had to do things because the company threatened that if they didn't, they would lose their job. The, some of the comedians were threatened to get fired if they went public with this scandal. Mm. So initially, the company tried to keep this secret. You know, when the... Cover it up. When this news broke out, the comedians said that they didn't accept the money. But then they talked to the president of the company that they should have a press conference and the public what has really happened. But the president said, well, well you can go have the press conference, but I'm going to get all of you fired. So, you know, <clears throat> crazy. So initially we were very critical of the comedians who had, you know, ties with the Yakuza members. But then we started to get angry toward the company's management. Is there another agent, like talent agency, or is it just Yoshimoto Kogyo company? Oh, there are many others, but Yoshimoto is by far the biggest and most influential entertainment company in Japan. They, they, do, they, they actually do a lot of things, not just the talent agency, but they, they do theater productions, movie productions. They're even sponsoring the Osaka World Expo, which is coming up in 2025. Yeah. So you could think of them as a sort of like a Warner Brothers in the US, a Walt Disney company. Okay. They're huge payment. Do you feel like Japan and the Japanese are going to continue supporting this company now that these scandals have become public? Yeah, I'm afraid so. I mean, they, because... Most of the comedians we see on TV, you know, the most famous ones, are they all belong to Yoshimoto Kogyo. So there is no other alternative. Another thing I wanted to mention is that, um, so there are many other smaller agencies, but the comedians don't really have a choice to transfer or, you know, move to other agencies. Because traditionally in Japan, if you do that, you will not get a chance to appear on TV or radio. Because Yoshimoto or any other, you know, big companies tend to threaten the TV companies. This person has quitted our company, so please don't put him on the show, right? Jeez. That's what yeah. And TV companies trust on, you know, they have relationship with Yoshimoto. And if they do not listen to what Yoshimoto managers say, um, Yoshimoto will not send their entertainers to be on their programs. Basically. 
the TV producers have to listen to Yoshimoto too. So this is a kind of an open secret. So the comedians don't don't want to quit their companies. It's not like you know normal you know people like us. You know when we don't like our workplace, we can quit our jobs and find a new job. But that that's not the case for these comedians. Oh, it's like they just have a monopoly over all the entertainment. And、yeah. if you don't go through Yoshimoto, you don't you can't have a job. Although even having a job with Yoshimoto, you're still not getting paid enough money.、Right. So you can only hope to become famous one day. And that's why a lot of comedians do side jobs, and they're happy to jump at a. At a chance like this, you know, when they get to perform on stage, even if it's in a small event, and a lot of them do side jobs, like they work in convenience stores or they work in karaoke shops or you know pachinko parlors or whatever. To so it's like theater、it. people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we kind of knew that because you know these comedians oftentimes make such jokes on stage. You know how how poorly they get paid, and we we used to laugh a lot about it, but now <laughs> it came out. You know, it turns out they. The story is real. You thought it was just joke and sarcasm, and really, it's no. This is this is the truth, and that's what it comes down to.、Yeah. I mean, I, I hope for the best. I know with kind of these scandals, there's a lot like the Fair Trade Commissioner, like the General Secretary. They're focusing on making sure there's written contracts and things like that. So I、yeah. hope that these steps are getting made to help serve these entertainers, so that they can make a living out of doing the things that they love without being. Taken advantage of. Taken advantage of, yeah. For our next topic that we want to discuss is genetically edited food. Now I know there's a lot of discussion about GMOs or genetically modified food that has been happening here recently. But in the past five or six years, scientists have been creating genetically edited food. So instead of injecting Different genomes from other animals and plants into different animals and plants. This is something that is occurring where they have a machine that's actually editing the existing genetic code in these animals and, and plants. And the government is trying to figure out if there needs to be any food products or labeling associated with this genetically edited. Food processing. I know GMOs have a lot of focus on that for consumerism to make sure that people are aware of they're eating something genetically modified. But there's a little gray area associated with the gene editing、uh, food, and Japan is having their own issues associated with that, where they say they say, you know what, if it can happen naturally in the environment, we don't have to tell people that it's genetically edited. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, they say you know it's difficult to distinguish genetically modified food from what's happened in no in the normal way in the natural world. But、mm-hmm. I think I I don't know if that's the true reason. You know, because if you look at European countries, they are planning to put a strict regulation on these gene edited food. So I think Japan can do better, and I think Japanese situation is pretty much similar to. The case in the U.S. in the United、mm. States, you too are talking about this, but not putting strong regulation on gene-edited foods, right? Correct. It's basically GMOs get the、uh, any sort of notification, but for there's still kind of a question of whether or not government has to make sure that consumers are aware that it's genetically edited instead. Uh, I kind of see because, like, ge-、uh, genetically modified. Like, I see that you're injecting, you're changing, you're adding something to it that isn't naturally part of it. Editing, according to the article, was talking about is like taking out some things which altered how it grew. Which 
I don't know. I don't see a big issue with that in the sense of it, like they say, it can naturally occur. So what is the big deal with just leaving it unlabeled? I mean, if I eat it and it's slightly been edited, is that going to be harmful to me? Well, there was an article that I had read associated with genetically editing things where like if they took out part of the genome that makes like if you're eating a potato and as a potato starts turning green, it's kind of showing, okay, this potato is no longer edible because it's releasing toxins and, and issues with this potato. But if the genome's been edited to take out that sort of green sort of effect to that potato, then you have a potato that will never turn green, but then it might become toxic, but never showing those outward appearances associated with it. And so a lot of people are afraid of, you know, as they're playing with these genetically, hey, we're making this potato bigger and riper, but we've in doing that, we've had to remove this portion of the gene that distinguishes, hey, it's now going rotten or releasing toxins. I can see that, but that would be detrimental because that would be just killing your consumer i don't see them doing something that's going to be harmful to the people eating it the issue is are they going to be doing it too fast to be able to know long term what are the ramifications of it and then how are they testing it like you take out this thing that uh, this one person's been eating and it's been breaking down in a certain way in their body and now that you've genetically changed it will it still be that way when that person's breaking it down inside their body or will it will their body react differently to it now? Yeah, so this is a pretty much new technology, you know. So we don't know what's going to happen to our bodies in the future. I think people are afraid of anything that has to do, be, you know, genetically modified. Um, GMOs has been there for like the past 30 years, right? But this thing has just happened in, in like 2012, right? So, you know, you may not die um, even if you eat this gene-edited food tomorrow or next week, but... If you look at in 50 years, 60 years, we don't know what's going to happen. So that's why I think people are afraid. And another problem is that don't people need to know the product they are going to buy is gene edited or not? Because the government, the Japanese government is now proposing the food manufacturers don't have to report to the government when they make these products. And they don't even have to put labels on it. So there is no way consumers would know if the product they're buying is gene edited or not. Because they don't know the long-term effects. And they're like, look, this can happen naturally, like out in nature. And so if can do that, why not sell it just as a normal product? Because as a scientist, I think they said they can't necessarily tell, okay, was this naturally formed, just a radical sort of tomato that happened in the farm? versus one that has been edited like genetically um, and there's no way to test that. What, I mean, as modern consumers, for me personally, I feel like it needs to be disclosed that, hey, this is not a quote unquote naturally grown sort of plant or vegetable or fruit that I'm eating, that there has been some, not modification, but that there's, it has been it's been messed with, essentially. I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you as a consumer feel like this does need to be disclosed? Do you feel like the government should be doing the same thing with the genetically edited technology as they do with the GMOs? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think consumers should have the right to know. Um, they, they should have the right to choose if they want to buy these gene edited food or not. Mm. Stephen, your thoughts? <laughs> I like I don't know. I I don't feel it's always necessary. I I get where it can go wrong. Like I get that like if you don't label it now, then 
down the road, yeah, what if they do alter something and then don't have to tell anybody because there's no regulation there and then it becomes some sort of harmful substance. So I see the need for it like in the sense of safety like that, but like up front right now with just where it's at, with just like, let's take out this one strand which allows it to do this thing, I'm fine with that. But I also don't care about a lot of things and just eat cereal, so I don't see this really affecting me much. <laughs> Way I to go. So related with this gene editing technology, which is called CRISPR-Cas9. Um, they could use this technology to create GM food. So we think that, you know, this technology is for, is the same as the conventional sort of selective breeding, right? But if the government doesn't know which company is producing what kind of products, there, there could always be some bad companies, you know, using this technology to make GMO foods, but they don't have to put any labels on it. So consumers wouldn't they have a chance to know, right? Well, I mean, you're saying that, but like any company that's run is always going to be audited and checked and whatnot randomly by whatever government officials. And if they start genetically modifying something, even though they don't have to put a label and somebody comes in and checks the product, it's like, hey, you've modified this. You didn't just edit it. You modified it that whole company would be shut down. Yeah. But is that, I mean, I know that's the case in the US. I don't know, would Japan be that strict about it? I think it's very difficult to check all the products, right? Because mm -hmm. of budget and uh, the number of employees the government has. But I think if the food suppliers have this choice, they would be happy to try because they can produce their products cheaper and, and more, longer shelf lives and all, all the good things associated with it. So they can make more profit. Yeah, I mean, I feel like as the population continues to grow, the agriculture may not be able to support it, which is why they're trying to develop this technology. So I understand why it's being created this way. But as Stephen originally had mentioned, it's like if the consumers start getting sick and they realize that this is what's happening to their food, they're not going to purchase it anymore, which then in turn makes these companies, they're not going to be able to have these profits anymore because no one's going to want to buy their stuff. So... Well, you also have to look at media in our day and age. Like if they all of a sudden start, you know, producing mass producing genetically edited food, the media is going to take it and run with it. It's like, are you eating uh, tomatoes that have been edited? Their genes are different now. You may be in danger. Like a fear would take over and that could just crush the industry as well. Maybe. I don't know. It'll I, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think the U.S. is a little bit more stringent and strict on a lot of this. But Japan, from these articles, it sounds like it's going to head to the, the grocery stores and, and people aren't necessarily going to be aware of what kind of foods they're going to. Just so long as my potato's not trying to fight me while I'm trying to boil it, I'll be okay. <laughs> well, speaking of fighting... Not necessarily potato, but this leads into our last topic, a very unfortunate article about a father who ended up killing his son um, for basically trying to discipline his son. The son was studying for exams for a private school and the father was very strict and wanted to make sure that the son studied and worked hard and ended up threatening him with kind of sharp objects with like a box cutter and it kind of escalated through all of that to where this one incident uh the father it was said he was kind of threatening him of you need to study and ended up taking the knife to his son 
and ended up murdering him um, by quote unquote accident. The father says he doesn't really remember. He just remembers kind of holding this knife to his son's neck after he chest. was misbehaved to his chest, excuse me, after misbehaving and then covering his mouth so his son wouldn't scream out. And then the next thing you know, he walked away, turned around and saw his son kind of covered in blood and, and the son died. And just reading this article, knowing kind of how strict the school system, it, not school system, but parents wanting the best for their children. But this is a very extreme case associated with it. But I do know many parents, Japanese friends of mine who have told me stories of kind of their own youth and hey, we want the best for our children and gets kind of onto the extreme nature. I mean, do you feel, Yasushi, that this is an out of the ordinary sort of article? Yeah, this is definitely an extreme case. This became a major news because this was a murder case. But, you know, if this, if this child didn't die, there's no way we would have known that, you know, this father was treating him in, in this way, right? So I think there are the similar cases maybe to a lesser extent, um, are happening everywhere in Japan. Yeah, this is very, just very depressing, heartbreaking. Very, very heartbreaking. Yeah. What, what frustrates me with this kind of stuff is it culturally here, there's so much emphasis putting, put on studying and getting into the right school. It's like as an elementary school student like or middle school student even, like, if you don't get into the right high school, you're not going to be able to get into the right university. If you don't get into the correct university, you're not going to get the right job. If you don't get the right job, you're a failure in life. It's like so these 10, 11, 12 year old children are having to make decisions that in their mind will affect the rest of their life. And so these parents, one of my favorite quotes from Terry Goodkind, you know, the greatest harm can result from the best intentions. They think that they have to force their children to study, study, study to these extremes and the kids are just not enjoying it they're, they're burning out on it and like with this son he eventually was like i i'm not enjoying like this is not what i want to do but the dad was like well you're going to do it and we're going to make sure you're ready for it and so it escalated into that point and it's just it just really makes me sad when i just hear about these students when i'm like hey what are you doing you know for your weekend or your holiday it's like oh i'm studying i'm like no but for fun no i'm studying it's like why it's like i'm i've been told that i have to study 10 hours a day every day like there's more to life than studying and it frustrates me to no end this this mentality of you have to study make the best scores on your test and life will be over well i think what's yeah. also difficult with all of this is that like this father was talking about that is how he was raised i mean his own father was very very strict and um was gave just rigorous discipline um that the father who ended up killing his son he had to give up baseball when he was in elementary school his father was like you can only take up the sport after junior high school you have to make sure that you pass the exams that you get into this private school and that grandfather says well that's how i was raised and so it's just kind of this generational thing of disciplining of like this is how i was raised so that I could be a better person, so I need to raise my own child this way. And it just kind of perpetuates that same sort of discipline to the children. I read a court document about this case. So this boy's grandfather appeared in court and he verified that he too had threatened his son with a knife and asked this father's treatment 
toward the boy was too harsh. This grandfather replied, this couldn't be helped or I'm not surprised or anything. Junior high school exam is that important. And, you know, he's, he basically said, I can understand why parents are so, why parents should be so paranoid about, you know, their children's education because junior high school entrance exam is so important. Do you, I mean, as Stephen kind of brought up of, you know, we have these elementary school students and then going into junior high. I mean, in an American culture, kind of high school and even then, we don't really know about what our future is going to be. We get into the university and college and kind of start figuring out ourselves what we're going to major in and things like that. In Japan, in that sort of culture, do children like at the age of end of elementary, beginning of junior high school, like is it programmed into them that right now is the time you have to find out what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life? It's, it's not like deciding your future job. The purpose is to go to the best school. And so you could get the best job. It, it has, doesn't have much to do with the jobs. If you go to, you know, end up graduating from the best universities, you can pretty much get any job. I remember I was told um, the similar things, you know, if you go to good school and graduate, go to good university, then you can go to, you know, good company in the future. A number of times, not, not from my parents, but as I grew up from the teachers or from the prep school teachers. Probably I was told that a million times, and that's sort of ingrained in the children. That similar thing is said in America. I mean, the better you are, uh, you know, the better your grades, the better chance you have of getting to a good university. Getting into a good university gives you a better chance of getting a better job. But here it's to the extreme that, like, I feel like the kids feel that if they don't succeed in getting into whatever university or even high school or, or junior high, that their aspirations are now pointless like well i didn't get into this university like i hope to so now i'm not going to be able to get any good job and my life is over i know i'm speaking the extremes here but this is really something just like i've said it just frustrates me it irritates me i think even if you go to a normal public school you would still have a chance to go to good university in japan i went to a public school the normal one i continued studying you know um later and i went to one of the best schools in japan so junior high school I think it depends on the parents and also it depends on the place. I think in the countryside, kids tend to go to public schools more. But in, in an area like Tokyo or Osaka, big cities, a lot of the children take junior high school exams. So I think it, it, it depends on, on the parents and the students. It would be nice just to kind of have a nice balance of, you know, where still play sports and be social and kind of be a child still without having the stress of, okay, I need to get into this good school so that I can get into the good university and things like that. It's, I think, hopefully that in the future generations that it doesn't propagate of, hey, my father was harsh and disciplined with me, so I got to do that to my other children. But that the next yeah. generation can kind of see, all right, there's more to life than just focusing on studying. Yeah. But the thing is, this, this kind of discipline sort of transcends generation, right? So this father was treated in that way. That That's the only way he knew how to teach his son. I think at some point, you know, you have to stop it or your child will repeat the same thing to their, you know, child. Yeah. I feel kind of sorry for this father. I mean, what he what he did is is absolutely not. Um, what he did is formidable, right? It, it shouldn't be allowed. But still, he too was treated in that way. I just feel, you know, 
he is very sorry that he did this. He doesn't remember, you know, when he actually stabbed his son. According to a psychiatrist, um, in these harsh situations, you know, you, you lose your memory. And now he regrets what he has done. And he really wanted his son to go to, you know, the same school as he did, as his father did. And so it, it comes out from, I don't know if this is the right word, but uh, I, I'd, I'd like to believe this comes from his love for his son. But I, I, I just think he didn't know how to show it. Or Yeah, well, like I said, the greatest harm can result from the best intentions. Like he really, yeah. his way of trying to help his son was to do this. And he hoped it would work in the end. But yeah. then it's the whole, it's, it, again, it comes down to culture. Like, if this has happened, because this is one case that made it which made its way to the news. There are many others that probably are happening that we don't know about. So a whole, a, a paradigm shift needs to happen in the culture where the adults are taught and shown like, hey, there's more to life than your kids studying. Let them go out and play. Let them go out and have fun and do something be children like their whole future is ahead of them let them enjoy this time before they go in and become salarymen and are hating their job for the rest of their life let them at least enjoy this time yeah yeah i agree with you Stephen. but i i'm afraid that the op opposite things are happening if i look at my kids friends they're all doing some kind of you know after school lesson um but they're still five-year-old they're doing piano lessons, English lessons, swimming lessons, you know, come on, like preparatory school things. They're super busy. The, the mothers just need to get involved. I know this article was talking about like the mom was aware of these things, but she was kind of told, all right, to keep your distance, you know, that the, the father was going to kind of take care of disciplining and making sure that he was he was doing this. But I feel like maybe adding that softer effeminate you know motherly side to kind of calm yeah. down that sort of discipline maybe that's the balance that that needs to be had as if the japanese patriarchal culture kind of starts equalizing a little bit to where like the matriarch can kind of come and stay involved that maybe some of that discipline or harsh discipline might decrease a little bit associated with it maybe <laughs> well thank you all for listening to amakara japan this week discussing japanese news topics and we appreciate you tuning in again and hopefully you're a little bit more educated about the uh, things that are happening in japan and uh, you get excited and do your own research about these news articles i want to thank uh, yasushi and steven for joining us and we will see you next week sayonara <laughs> sayonara